Good morning. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 8. Spending a few weeks this summer in between series in the Psalms. Uh, the second week of September, we will begin 1 Peter and then follow up next year early with 2 Peter. So if you want to begin doing some reading on that, that might serve you in preparation. Louis XIV of France was king for 72 years, one of the longest reigns of any sovereign leader in history. King Louis was so intoxicated with his own power that he had himself called the Sun King. He famously built and reigned from the palace of Versailles, one of the most magnificent edifices in the world. It contained uh, 2,000 lavishly ornate rooms. The gardens contained 1,400 fountains and 400 sculptures. Uh, the palace and its grounds are still the world's largest royal domain. The most opulent room in the palace was known as the Hall of Mirrors. It was 240 feet long, 40 feet high, with 347 large mirrors and 20,000 candles so that the king and his royal court could admire their own grandeur. When King Louis XIV finally died, his funeral was a spectacular gathering. He laid in state for over a month. And at the day of the funeral, which was in a great cathedral, it was packed with all of the wealth and power of Europe. His coffin was solid gold covered with jewels. And according to the king's own instructions, the entire cathedral was dark except for one candle over the coffin. It was meant to reinforce to the people how majestic this king truly was, even in passing. The thousands of people that were in the cathedral were in hushed silence as Bishop Massillon stepped to address them. And then he stunned everyone by slowly bending down and extinguishing the candle. And out of the darkness, his voice rang, Only God is great. Only God is great. And in case you're thinking, well, it's good that we don't have men like Louis XIV. 
as kings anymore. Consider how tempted we all are to set up a throne in our lives and to rule from it. That our expectations would be met, that obviously our opinions would be heard, and that we would be in charge of our lives, and that people would kind of go along with it. The truth that only God is great is something that all of our souls need to hear and to know and to embrace. The psalm that we're looking at today, Psalm 8, is given to us that we might remain mindful that only God is great. So let's read. To the choir master, according to the Gideon, the Psalm of David. So we see even in that description, this, this was meant to be a song. The people of God would sing these words in their worship. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a, a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give sight in our hearts and minds to not only hear your truths, but that they would make sense to us that it would be light that would permeate the way that we think and live, the way that we're responding to what is in our life right now, that your words would become the dominant truth in all that is taking place for us. We ask for this grace, for we need it. And we pray knowing how good you are to give grace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Everything in this psalm is meant to affirm the majesty of God. 
it begins and ends with the same refrain. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It begins that way, and then all that follows is meant to affirm what is said, and then he ends with the same statement again, reminding us all of this is about the majesty of God. So as we look at each phrase, each word, it is meant to exalt God before us. So let's examine what we are told about God's majesty, His greatness, His glory. So there's six statements we'll see uh, that were given. The first is that the majesty of God is beyond anything else in existence. First one, you have set your glory above the heavens. So what to us is, is the greatest and the unreachable? Well, God's glory is, is above even that. God's greatness is above all because he is the one who spoke all into existence. And as Scripture tells us, he continues to sustain everything that exists. Every molecule that is held together to form your body only remain together because God is actively commanding them and keeping them together. The stars continue to give light because God keeps them. The planets are in motion because God is turning them. He is sustaining everything he created. It does not simply just exist on its own, which should make it obvious to us that it's impossible for anything to supersede this unmatched level of majesty. God is the only one uncreated. All else he has made and sustained. So nothing can have more majesty, more greatness than God. So that when we are tempted to replace God's ways for something that appears to be a little bit better, maybe a little bit more advantageous, the reality is nothing can be better. Nothing can be of greater advantage. It is impossible. The second reality of God's majesty and greatness we see in verse 2, that this majesty, it's not just reserved for a few to see and grasp and experience. It, the majesty of God is for everyone to receive. For he says, out of the mouth of, of babes and infants. And the word babes in, in uh, the Hebrew word here, it, it would be the equivalent to what we would think of toddlers. So out of, out of toddlers, infants, those who have just entered the world, they... They can understand much, but all of their understanding is simplistic. Their understanding is, is very basic. And so the Lord is letting us know that anyone can see and understand basic truths of God. And, 
And what is wonderful about that is the simplest truths of God are enough to sustain our souls. Just a few weeks ago when Ben Kreps was preaching, he, he spoke of this simple statement that Jesus loves me. And yet, how wondrous, what, what depths, what beauty is in that? Truths that sustain our soul. And so, weak believer, new believer, you love God, but you're just starting to understand, and there's much of Scripture you don't know. If you have come to know Christ, then you right now can speak with great strength and wisdom. For we see in verse 2, what comes out of the mouth of, of toddlers and infants establishes strength and stands against the foes of God. There may be people who are fast talkers and thinkers, and maybe they can then spew forth ideas and thoughts that uh, you're not able to maybe quite follow as quickly, and uh, you're thinking you're not able to answer all that they can say. You can speak the truths of God that are truths confounding what anyone can say. What you can say of God in Christ are the most wonderful and needed words of anyone in this world. It doesn't matter what they have, how wise, how much power, how successful. It doesn't matter how broken apart their lives. It doesn't matter how uh, ruined they are by sin. You can speak words of strength and wisdom that will serve any soul. For you can speak of a God who is over all who loves us, who sent his son, you can speak of a savior that died and paid for our sins. You can speak of one who has conquered death and lives and reigns and is coming again. And there is nothing greater to say in this world. There's nothing more noble, nothing more helpful, nothing with greater depth. The Bible often makes this statement to God's people in trusting his word, and you shall not be put to shame. No one will ever be shamed because they trusted the word of God, but those who despise it and turn their back on it, they will live with eternal shame and regret that will torture their souls forever. A third reality about God's majesty, what we see in creation and the magnificence of it, which is how this psalm is beginning, what we can see is meant 
to lift our hearts in wonder and in trust of a God who could create so wondrously so that we would trust him with what we cannot see. Verses 3 and 4, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? This is a dime. How many of these do you think it would take to fill this room? I'm just one. Uh, do you think you could count how many dimes all the way to the ceiling would fill the room? But what about if we went further and the dimes would fill every part of our campus, all the buildings, all the ball fields, the wooded areas, the fields, dimes to fill all of it to this height. How many do you think that would be? Let's take it further. Imagine dry, your drive home and the entire drive, everything was dimes to the height of, of this room. How many, how many dimes would that be? Who, who could count them? And yet, Scientists tell us that all of the stars in the known universe would be dimes that covered the entire continent of North America to the height of the Empire State Building. Dimes covering the entire continent, the height of the Empire State Building. That's in the known universe, that's how many stars there are. How does the Bible describe God creating all of them? And he created the stars also. While he was at it, he, he scattered out planets and stars beyond counting. And Scientists also tell us that space is actually relatively empty. The magnitude of distance, it's, it's staggering. What power. But it, he's more than a God of power. What goodness. Last summer, Debbie and I spent some time in Montana, in Yellowstone, and then in Glacier National Park, and the beauty, you cannot look anywhere without beauty, without stopping. And we have all these pictures, and you show the pictures, you're going, amazing pictures, but no, it's much better than that. You cannot capture, you, you stand at these amazing views, and you, you take a picture, it's, it's a reminder, it cannot capture For God is amazing in beauty and goodness and power. And the Bible often refers to God working with power as the arm of God. The arm of God moving. But here, the psalmist, particularly knowing how Scripture refers to the power of God, in speaking of creation, he says, it was the work of your 
your fingers. Whereas we've already heard, actually it was just the call of his voice come into existence. God has the greatness and goodness to bring this universe into existence and he can be trusted with you, your life, your future. He can be trusted with all of it. What doesn't make sense? What is hard? He can be trusted. Fourth reality of God's majesty builds on that truth because God's majesty includes his heart for you. Back again in verse 4. So what is man that you are mindful of him? If the earth was a golf ball, so you know what I was doing this week. How do you compare? If the earth was a golf ball, <laughs> the largest star just in our galaxy would be a ball the size of Mount Everest. So how many golf balls would fit into a ball the size of Mount Everest? Or to think of it differently, if, <coughs> if you got on a plane at Philadelphia Airport after lunch and took a flight around the world, you would arrive back in Philadelphia uh, for breakfast on Tuesday. If you took that same jet around the largest star just in our galaxy, it would take 1,100 years. Imagine living on a planet where it takes over 1,000 years to fly around it. And that's constant if theoretically a plane could nonstop keep going for a thousand years, and it still has a hundred years to go. But compared to God who created the universe, compared to him, we are more minuscule than that golf ball to Mount Everest, because there is a measurable difference. The difference between us and God is, is without measure. He is infinitely greater. And yet, this God says he created us in his image. And elsewhere, he says that we are engraved in the palm of his hand. You are unforgettable to him. You're never out of his mind. You're never out of his sight. Your value has nothing to do with your abilities, your beauty, or anyone's opinion. Your value is that God, God cherishes you 
God adores you. And his heart is committed to you forever. Fifth, and the most wonderful majesty of God is how he saves you. Verse 5, yet you, the Lord, have made him, man, a little lower than the heavenly beings, crowned him with glory and honor. The immediate context here that the psalmist would have understood in writing is his building upon the wonder that God would love us so deeply that God would think to create us in his image. He's speaking of a God esteems humanity. We're not advanced animals. We're God's beloved. The culmination of creation. And God gave us creation as a gift to rule over. But what we rule over groans. We groan. The Bible says the earth groans. So there is, there is a much greater context in this verse. A context, a truth that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, for that is whom these verses ultimately speak of. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 6 to 9, we read these words. It has been testified somewhere, and now he quotes Psalm 8. It has been testified, I me, mean, it's been written, what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little while lower than the angels, crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. And now the writer comments on those verses. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Who are we speaking of? Namely, Jesus. Crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. God stepped into our mess. The one crowned with glory and honor humbled himself. Became man forever. Lived in faithfulness but was scorned and brutalized, rejected and crucified. And yet, that crucifixion was his plan, for he went to the cross. Who could have stopped it at any moment with a word? Imagine the legions of angels, how fast they would have appeared to defend him. The destruction that would have taken place in Jerusalem, if the angels desiring to deliver had been called but all that he called for was that 
the guilt of our sins would come and gather and be heaped upon him. He who called the universe into being called for every individual sin, all of them, and he took it upon himself and bore the wrath of God our sin deserves and paid in full our penalty. So there is no penalty left. And our guilt, it cannot be found. It doesn't exist. We are free. Christ not only rescues us from sin, 2 Timothy 2 says, he raises us to, to reign with him, the one crowned with glory and honor. Nothing more glorious could happen to you than what has already taken place through the gospel. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15, you did not receive the spirit of slavery, to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. We are the children of God. If children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him? Could that really be true? The Bible says it. How, how could that be? Just what you know about yourself, and you think pretty well of yourself, you defend, you justify yourself, and yet you have plenty of shame. Think of what's real. God would say publicly, so all would know, if you have trusted Christ, you will be glorified with him. For the Bible also says, when you see him, you will be like him. Not a bunch of little gods, but the completion of his people. Human people who do love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love each other more than ourselves. And we will be that forever. The sixth statement of his majesty is that this majesty of God then that has saved us, it rules over all that exists for our care and protection. Verse 6, you have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. We now know this is speaking of the Christ, God in flesh. He has dominion over all. Everything's under his feet. Because of what we know of God, of his greatness, of his love, we know that it is for us, not against us. Romans chapter 16, verse 20, it says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. We've already seen that all things are under the feet of Jesus. 
And so it will also be under our feet because we will reign with him. And all that sorrows our heart and all that disturbs this world will be removed. Whatever abuse, abuse or injustice strikes you, it is swallowed up in his grace. And if for you it's getting bad, know that then God's grace must be greater. It must outshine it. You must be able to say, Lord, you are faithful. God will allow nothing less. The majesty of God, that is what shapes your future. It's not what you can do. It's not what people say or people do. What shapes your future is nothing less than the majesty of God. And we've already seen something of that majesty. So what does it mean to live in it? Three quick thoughts. But how do we live in this majesty of God, knowing what we know? First, don't lose sight of where majesty is found. That's why Bishop Massillon cried out, only God is great. His heart wouldn't allow him to go along with this charade. He could not stop people from adoring the king. He couldn't stop the king from calling himself the sun king. He could not stop him from having a gold casket laid out for him, but he could speak the truth. This life is gone, and all the glory of it is gone, snuffed out like a candle, because only God is great. And like that good bishop, we need to snuff out any thoughts otherwise. Thinking that the world has something to offer that God cannot. Thinking that we have a better way to think about life. We can handle it. We can make it work better than the Word of God. That needs to be snuffed out. The majesty of God's not spread out. He did not take it and divide it across the world. It, it all remains in Him. All majesty is His, always. So there's no valid reason to reach beyond God to make your, your life fulfilling. Young people, students, God has better dreams for you than this world does. It's good to dream and desire your life to be valuable and purposeful because that's what God wants. He put that in your heart. And his dreams for you to use your life in ways that have eternal consequence. Your life will never be better used outside of him. Those who are in the prime of life, you want a lasting legacy, success to leave something, Live for God, because everything else will perish. Everything else 
will perish. Without a trace. And those who are the oldest among us. You want to remain useful? Ask God how you can honor him. When you show up here, the younger generations, they need to see lives that remain faithful. And you can pray in ways that have more wisdom than those that are younger. Because of what you've seen. You know the backstories of people. You've experienced life and what it can bring. Your prayers are of precious value. If you want life to be well used, remember where majesty is found. Second, be a worshiper of that God who is all majesty. We're created to be in awe, to be worshipers. We long to say, wow. That's why we go to national parks, to see what makes us just silent in wonder. That's why we watch these talent shows. You want to see someone who does something, you think, how could someone do that? That should be impossible. We want to be amazed. We love that. That's part of what God has placed in us. Because we're made to be wowed by God. Because God is all wow. He is all amazement. Nothing in him is not amazing. In the last few weeks, we have had two billionaires go into space. Richard Branson touched space, going 50 miles to the NASA line. Because he could. And the rest of you, you can. <laughs> Not to be outdone, then days later, Jeff Bezos, he goes to the Carmen line, which is the international line of space. That's 62 miles. 12 miles further than you. Both of them trying to scratch the edge of space. Wow, God fills the entirety of space. And he is here with you. When we put awe and wonder in the wrong place, it will fail us. And it will cause us to misuse our life along the way know where majesty is, and then give honor. Be a worshiper of him. And finally, rejoice. Rejoice that the majesty of God overflows into your life and through you. The Bible's filled with calls, serve the Lord. Why? Because God needs you? <laughs> because God loves you so deeply, he wants you to be part of what he's doing. He wants his majesty to engulf your life and efforts so that forever you will be able to praise him that he used your life. Your weaknesses, they're not a limitation for God. Oh, I can't do anything. I don't have gifts. I don't know much. As if that will hold God back. 
The only thing you need is love him. Truly love him. And your ordinary life can be saturated with the enrichments of his majesty. Praying for people and their needs with prayers that God hears. Showing example of what the character of Christ is to the world that doesn't know. Loving those who misuse you. Because that's what Jesus did. Showing you trust in the Lord to those who need to trust in what will actually work. There is no truly ordinary life when our life is given to the Lord. What doesn't make sense is being half-hearted with him, holding back from him. That doesn't make sense. So if you're here and you're disappointed with your life and you feel life has failed you, if God had your whole heart, you wouldn't think that way. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we affirm what your word tells us. You are God above. Oh Lord, what majesty, what greatness, what glory. For you, this wondrous, infinite God, you have come to save us. So we ask that this great reality, the most wondrous things that could happen to us have taken place. They are ours in Christ. May, may that feed our soul this morning and that we would go out with praise in our lips, our hearts, our minds, and our actions. And Lord, for those who have not to this point seen it, open their eyes today in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.